Sometimes it's easy to connect the dots between someone's education and their career. Sometimes not so much. For today's guest, it, it wasn't quite a straight line. She went from competing in pageants to being a country singer in Nashville to writing and producing online content to emceeing live events to being on television. And that's still not even the complete picture. I promise you, you'll have fun listening to today's episode with culinary producer and media personality, Kim Lai Yingling. Hey everyone, how's it going? On today's show, we're going to be talking with culinary producer and TV personality, Kim Lai Yingling. And who better to talk about culinary things than my own sister, Carol? Hey, Carol. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> uh, for those of you out there who don't know, my sister Carol's in LA, and she has her own culinary consulting company. And she's also been working on a few projects. You want to talk about anything you've been working on lately? Well, um, let's see. So I'm in the middle of opening um, a restaurant. I'm helping with the PR and marketing for Pizzeria Bianco. So Chris Bianco is one of the most famous. I should say he's a very prominent chef in his own right, but he's famously the first pizzaiolo who won the James Beard Award. Uh Uh, He's he's, uh, based in Phoenix, but he's opening his first restaurant here in LA. So getting excited for that. And then um, here's an interesting one. It's not really food related, but my a friend of mine from New York works for the Major League Baseball Players Alliance. That is the Alliance of African-American Baseball Players. And it's there about kind of promoting a pathway into pro sports for underserved athletes, uh-huh. young kids, because it's expensive to get yeah, into yeah. boot camps and all that. Um, so I'm actually producing the All-Star Game is here in Los Angeles here, this year at Dodger Stadium. So I'm producing a special event for them during All-Star Week. <laughs> wow. Fun. Most recently, um, it was Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, Woo-hoo! of course, in May. Um, and so as part of that, um, the mayor's office of Los Angeles started the AAPILA, uh, I guess it's a council task force. Um, and they did cultural events and they proclaimed AAPILA Day on May 3rd and several things throughout this, like self-defense classes, all kinds of things. But one of the things that we did was a food festival, um, a one-day pop-up at Smorgasburg, which is our huge sort of, I don't know what you call it. I mean, it's like a food festival, but it happens every Sunday. And Uh um, as part of that, today's guest was there cooking food with us. Uh The AAPI event at Smorgasburg was pretty cool. That was, I feel like it should be there all the time. I know, though. I know. It so seems, as, I guess what like we should say is, fit. yeah, what we should say is during this, uh, that particular day, we had, I want to say over 25 participants cooking um, and selling different foods, but also products could be kombucha or tea, could be cookies, fl- uh, cakes, beautiful pastries and stuff. Um, and then Kim Lai was there with our, one of our um, task force members, Katie Chin, no relation to us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and she uh, was, what were you guys making? You made um, gourmet fortune cookies and sesame noodles. Turkey meatballs. Mm, that's right. And Asian inspired noodles. That was the first bite I ate all day. It was the first bite. Like I'm always running around and everyone's like, you're surrounded by food. Why aren't you fat? I'm like, cause I never eat. I'm like, <laughs> I don't get a chance to sit down and eat. Right. I do think that they should like maybe integrate. I do think one that there needs to be more mm-hmm. Asians there because everybody loves Asian food, you know, but 
like integrate it into the rest of the world that's going on there. I just thought that was kind of not funny, but it was like, oh, here's all the regular people. And then boom, here's all these Asians. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted a special. We had we had a stage. We had performances. It was anyways. we should introduce our guest, Curtis. We're being rude. Oh, (laughs) Uh, okay, well, on that note, <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, a lot of culinary things today, as well as TV and media. And so today, coming along is someone that my sister Carol said we definitely should have on the show because she's just super cool. It's Kim Lai Yingling. Welcome, Kim Lai. Thank you. I am super cool. Super cool. Look at her hair. I, I mean, if yeah, I that's commitment, girl. That's a okay. lot of just so it. you guys know that it, I haven't even touched it today. Just so you know, <laughs> that's the bedhead. I, wo- I woke up like this literally. Is literally. <laughs> and same thing yesterday. I mean, you could just do a little little and it's like nothing. It doesn't move. <laughs> the best hairstyle ever. Easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's really easy and straightforward when we write these introductions, but let me tell you, for this next guest, I had to do some digging, and we found some nuggets. We found some some interesting career history that get, goes back a little bit. Like, for example, when, you know, I'm a high school biology teacher, so when I tell people I'm a biology teacher, most people, you know, they know what that is. They know how to describe it. But with this guest, Kim Lai, it is much more involved than that. <laughs> you can't just sum her up in one or two words. Kim Lai, do you find it hard to explain to people what you do? I do. Someone asked me the other day, they were like, um, so what exactly is it do you do? Are you like an influencer? And it's like, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not, but um, I'm, I'm in the culinary field. And, you know, I was doing culinary. Um, I was a food writer for this magazine. And somewhere, I think I was watching some show up on Food Network. And, you know, when you watch the credits at the end, they talk about people's roles. Mm. And I was at that time even still trying to figure out what I was doing because I wasn't just food (laughs) writing, but I was writing and producing food content. Uh And I was doing food news for AOL, writing and producing and hosting food news. And it's like, man, I'm not just a food writer and I'm not just a food creator. And on the credits, as they rolled on this Food Network show, I saw culinary producer and I was like, Googled culinary producer. What is that? And it like listed everything that I was doing. I'm like, I'm a culinary producer. (laughs) Yes, you are. I thought that that would kind of sum it up. And now I get what exactly is a culinary (laughs) producer? You're like, Google it. (laughs) Yeah. Or I get, so are you a blogger? And it's like the way it's asked, though, it's like, are you a blogger? (laughs) Like for food? It's it's like, well, no, but that's it's okay. It is hard to explain sometimes. So Yeah, it is hard to explain. Um, It's weird. Sometimes I'm like, wow, why couldn't I have just been like an accountant? I mean, I'm Asian. I could have just been. A veterinarian <laughs> or a violin player, like, and that's it. But yeah, so culinary producer. Sounds good. Culinary producer, Kim Lai Yingling. Let's talk about you a little bit. Let's go into the background a little bit. Currently in LA. Yes. But originally Pacific Northwest. Did I get that right? Yes. Uh, Pacific Northwest to Nashville, Tennessee to Los Angeles. Okay. All right. And then yeah. are you are you of mixed heritage? I know I've seen I your am. Vietnamese mom before. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, my mom full Vietnamese and my dad is like German. He's from Pennsylvania and he's a little Dutch, a little German. 
So growing up, was, was your mom a big influence on you growing up? Did you get in touch with your Asian roots through your mom? Oh, huge. I mean, she's a huge influence. She, I feel like a lot of Asians have the same story. She, well, okay, maybe not exactly the same, but she met my dad um, in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Okay. And so they met like that. And my grandfather did a little sa'am, sa'am. And um, her and my father <laughs> were poof, they were married. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so she came over to the States with my dad fairly young. And my dad is much more older than my mother. Uh, they are still married, by the way. Okay. <laughs> they came over to the States. And of course, then I was born over here. But it's like my mom was learning English we were learning English together. She came here. She had to leave her entire family. There's like uh-huh. 17 of them um, in Vietnam. So she was coming to the States with no friends, no family, couldn't speak English, married to this white man on an army base. Mm-hmm. So we were learning so many things together. I often have people say, you know, gosh, it's just such a shame that you can't speak Vietnamese. And I mean, it is. It, it's, it's a bummer. But. It's like I think about it and it's like, man, my mom was trying so hard, you know, just herself to learn English and to try to in her mind, she wasn't trying to bring me back to Vietnam. I mean, she was trying to get me and herself familiar with American culture. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, uh, there was a lot of Vietnamese sprinkled in. Yeah. But we were both just learning a lot of things together. Me, obviously, so young and her her first time. So like we're both just learning so much together. Yeah, yeah. So was it was it in the kitchen that she was able to pass on some of her her culture to you growing up? Well, yes. You know, it's like people people will put out recipes, you know, like uh, this is like authentic Chinese food or this is authentic Vietnamese food. And people will say things like, oh, my God, that's like that's not authentic. But It's like, you know what? Authentic is what is authentic to you. And I grew up. Yes, there was a lot of Vietnamese cuisine with a lot of American food (laughs) stuck in there, you know, because one, she's working with ingredients that she can find on hand. So there's not going to be a lot of um, there's some, but there's not going to be a lot of Vietnamese ingredients on an army base. And again, she's not too familiar with where she's going. Um, No friends yet. So like when she's making fried rice for me. It's hot dog fried rice. I was going to say, Sam, hot dogs, 100%. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that when I tell people, it's like, oh, authentic. It's yeah, it's hot dog fried rice. Like, that's not authentic. It's like, yes, it is. It (laughs) is to me. You know, I always thought, oh, you know what? I've been, I just have some ideas for some cookbooks. And it's like one recently was just like, you know what? It's going to be like authentically me. Recipes by Kim Lark. Uh-huh. Oh my God, go. I should have trademarked that first. Don't anybody take that idea. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why did I just say that? Right after um, the show, she's going to be like, <laughs> trademark. <laughs> but you know, it's going to be all these Asian recipes that are going to be sprinkled in with a whole lot of something, something else. But it's what was authentic to me growing up. And I think a lot of people, as they start learning more about other cultures and cuisines, they do find that there is a lot of intermingling of other things because when you are making recipes, you you do sometimes have to work with what is on hand and you use the best substitutes that you can find, you know? You know who's the king of that is Roy Choi. So, you know, growing up here in LA, surrounded by taco trucks and LA culture, but, you know, coming from Korea. So you'll, that's where the bulgogi taco comes from. And it it was authentic to him. It was, that was what was, he was eating, cooking, being surrounded by um, just, you know, corn cheese and 
what's um, I can't say that dish, but the the you know it's kind of the army based stew that they make with spam, and it's just it's what they ate. Mm-hmm. And it tastes I good. I do remember. <laughs> I have a lot like when we would do um, my dad. Okay, so we our first memory like well that I can you know when you're like little is we were at one of the army bases and we we're living in Panama. My mother was le- teaching me how to cut up coconuts. And so I just remember squatting, which I think that's just something you learn really young. The Asian um, squat. <laughs> and, yes. And being so comfortable doing it, like I still do it now. It's just such a comfortable position. It's good so, for the hip flexors. Right? We're both on the floor squatting, newspapers all laid out. We've got our coconuts and we're bam, bam, bam. I'm watching her doing it myself. And I'm obviously not doing it as well as she is because I'm so little, but I started with her from so young, just because these were things that were natural for her to do, even though she was in, well, Panama. And so I'm watching and I'm fascinated with it. Um, So yeah, I've been cooking with her for a long, long, long time, but it wasn't until much later that I really wanted to dive into the culture Mm. because as her food became so Americanized, I wanted more authentic, like if you're in Vietnam uh-huh. type okay. of cuisine. I wanted to, I wanted those flavors and I wasn't, I was starting to get really Americanized. <laughs> like, don't you fish sauce, Kim? American no like fish sauce. <laughs> and so it's like, but we should be using fish sauce. I mean, who cares if they now don't Americans like Americans are figuring it out. That's now how we, we eat, you yeah, know? Yeah. No, it, it took a while, I think, for the taste buds of America to catch up to what mm-hmm. people were doing. Yeah. So you grow up in uh, Pacific Northwest and elsewhere, and so I so I, I found this little nugget that you formed a band called Kim Lai <laughs> Crazy Country and and started touring a little bit. Yes. So ever since I was little, I and my parents let me explore everything, and so there was this uh, Jimmy Dean contest, this country singing contest, and I'm very competitive. Not with other people, but with myself. So it's like, oh, I'm going to win. I'm going to do that, you know? Um, Oh, I got to tell you one thing real quick. So I entered a pageant one time. It was actually a a local pageant to go on to Miss Washington, which then goes to Miss America. Uh And this is about Asians. And I took second place. And the winner's mother was Asian, the one who won. She wasn't. She, But the adopted mother was Asian. And she came up to me and said... If you took singing lessons and lost 20 pounds, you would win. So <laughs> I was really upset for a little bit about that. But then it's like she was kind of right. Uh-huh. So that's when I started. I trained uh, opera trained and jazz trained. And I did lose 27 pounds <laughs> and I oh, won. Next year. I and can't imagine I just- you with an extra 20 pounds. Ooh. I love that you had a, a guest tiger mom. <laughs> Surrogate. Yeah. She wasn't even your mom. Just some I other know. backstage mom that was like, hey. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I don't even know if I told my mom that either, you know, because then my mom's very protective. Uh-huh. She's very upset. But I was so upset about that. Um, but I mean, she was right. Hello. And most times, you know, it's like, it's not that Asians, they're just very direct. Right. Um, so I, I started singing and I, um, I entered this contest and I won the contest and I met a bunch of musicians and now granted this is kind of, it's like a good old boys club with the musicians Mm -hmm. and I was doing country. So it was a really a good old boys club. And a lot of these um, musicians were a lot older than I was, 
So I was going in already, just not know. I didn't really know what I was doing. I started going to the uh, fair associations for Washington (laughs) and Oregon and California. And, you know, Carol, there's no Asians. Yeah. I was the only Asian. I'm not surprised. And the girl on the girl. It's like, I can't even tell you how many those men were like, what's your name? Kim La, Kim La. What? Maybe you should think about changing your name, honey. And it's like, (laughs) you know what? One of these days, y'all are going to know my name, Mm -hmm. how to say my name. And it wasn't like, you're going to know my name. It's like, you're going to know how to say my name. (laughs) But I did take the gangling off because it was like, okay, Kim lies enough. (laughs) It's like, that's hard enough. I've started, but so I started doing the um, fair associations, you know, and getting spotlit there and um country so it's like oh my god it's an asian country singer but she looks really white (laughs) and um doing uh, doing yodeling and i started getting booked on a lot of shows and then entrepreneur came in put the band together i bought a trailer i bought a suburban uh, like a forty thousand dollar sound system the whole family got involved and i started going to all of these shows with the band as a package deal. So I would run your stage for you. I would MC for you. <laughs> I would perform. That's the whole package. Wow. So we started doing that all over the place. And then it's so much fun. And this agent said, you're good. You should move to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to move to Nashville. So I packed up the Suburban, <laughs> shipped it over, lived in a hotel for a few weeks and literally was like, I'm going to be like, Martina McBride, I'm going to put all of my um, resumes in a purple envelope and I'm going to go knocking door to door on Music Row. Yeah, you know what? It's not like that anymore. <laughs> how, how long were you in Nashville? Five years. Five, Five years. years. Oh. That's some time. Yeah. Music business is hard to break into. Yeah. Huh? yeah. And I just, I just didn't know, you know, but then I was having so much fun. I started writing for a news, um, a Nashville publication i'm mm. talking with all these guys and i was already familiar with hanging out with the men you know and so it's like i just I'm cute i'm hanging out with y'all oh my god i'm asking all these cute questions and i just loved it so much and then i wanted to do more writing and i was starting to get more serious but i mean i did have a communication degree you know i know how to do that stuff um when i moved to nashville uh, to la i just started emceeing a lot of events so richard branson um, would come to LA to do these um, uh, events with all of these venture capitalists and people that are trying to do startups and entrepreneurs. And I started emceeing them. And so it's like, gosh, I'm, I'm really, I'm, tr- I'm starting to find my knack. You know, it's like, I'm really good at organizing things and obviously talking in front of a large audience and managing a stage, mm-hmm. no different than like writing and producing, putting content together. So producing. Yeah. 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 You know, Wait, so you when, when was this? Pro- when did you move to L.A.? Oh, I don't remember the date. <laughs> what I mean, see what it's like, everything is like so melded together. Yeah. Like now that I'm talking, it, I do remember that when I moved to L.A., it's funny because all my Nashville friends knew me as a singer. That's all right. they knew uh-huh, me as. Uh-huh. And so in L.A., I did sing out a few times in L.A. because some people found out I sang and they were like, come on, we're doing a show here. Do you want to come perform? And it was like, well, how'd you know I did that? And so. <laughs> It's interesting that people here in LA, it's like, she don't sing. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then you have people in LA, it's like, are you going to put out another CD? And it's like, people here are like, what is <laughs> happening right now? And it's, and I do tend to forget, you know, and it's like, sometimes I have friends that will be like, hey, you got to come out to karaoke. And it's like, 
Yeah. I want to go to karaoke with sure. you. Like this is the whole new thing for me, a revelation for me. I, oh let's, let's bring back the band. I want to see. I want to see. I actually want to see the country music singing. No, we need to get some music. I I couldn't. I actually looked for a little bit. I couldn't find any. You won't. <laughs> no, did you take it all down? It's funny. I actually have my demos in my car. I forgot about it. It's been in the. I've had my car for fifteen years. Oh, we need to. See. Oh, I don't listen to the that. CD player, but it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, we gotta find some. We gotta get some of that. All right. So, uh, so this is what you take a left turn here. You take a little left turn. I did. And um, you're in you're in L.A. and you start a website called EdenAsian.com. And that's when. I started getting really into what my culture was, is how it affects me. Why do I feel certain things that I don't know what I'm feeling because I didn't, I didn't have a lot of Asian friends. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how Eaton Asian was created. That's why it was created because I really was like, Hey, I'm the, I'm Vietnamese. Oh my gosh. What does that mean? Uh And uh I started, you know, my mom is limited because she left so young yeah, and then became so Americanized, but she's still so very Vietnamese, obviously. But I was so curious as to like, I've always been cur- uh, confused uh, about, am I Catholic or am I Buddhist? Uh-huh. And because it's like, I, they're, they're so integrated. It seems like some of the things like with cath- with Catholics that, you know, you don't do certain things, but yet Asian people do because, but yet they're Catholic. But yet it's part of the culture. Right. But right. my grandpa's Buddhist and it's like, oh, well, I don't understand. And then like, why am I not good at math? Why am I not a better? <laughs> I'm serious. Like why? I get the whole piano thing. I mean, I kind of wish it would have been violin, but I don't know. I feel like that even would have been cheaper at the time. But why am I not good at math? Um, why? There was just so many things I was curious mm. about. Mm-hmm. So I created Eat Nation. Not even I didn't know it was going to turn into what it did. But I started encouraging other people to write on it as well. So I reached out to other people. Um, I, I had one um, one girl, Linda, who's actually my mom's goddaughter. And she wanted to write an article about why Vietnamese people have pink turkeys on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it's like it has to do with the rub, you know, the barbecue seasoning uh-huh, that you use. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, oh, my God, that's so cute because I well it seemed normal to me, uh-huh, but apparently uh-huh. obviously it's not normal to other people. Like you've got red Turkey. Is that blood? <laughs> like, what are you, are you guys eating raw turkeys? Um, you know, we would celebrate what, what was the whole point of Chinese new year? Why didn't we really celebrate birthdays? Why didn't we really do Christmas? I mean, we did, but it was like, I just remember every Christmas, it was like, go in the back room and get the tree and pull the bag off. And <laughs> the tree, we had the same tree for so many years, <laughs> but yet when the Chinese new year or Vietnamese Tet, you know, came around, it's like, that's where we really did our celebrations. And so I just, I just always did things because that's just what we did, but I never really understood. So I started asking other writers um, to write and I started putting ads out on Craigslist and just putting just out to my network. And so start, people started writing other Asians about Mm. some of the things and we've got kind of deep, like about what they were Uh feeling or how they felt torn with things. Or like, maybe they've experienced like racism, which I don't think I have. Apparently I have, but it's like, it was so went over my head Uh in Nashville, apparently (laughs) (laughs) so over my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was like, somehow we turned into food. Everything turned into Uh food. And then I started getting, um, Caucasian people wanting to share, like from Oregon, from Nevada, 
Massachusetts or something with an M. People just, I put out a thing again uh, in Craigslist and started trying to get writers to write about food. And it was like, you don't have to be Asian as long as you share an Asian recipe. And whoa, so many people love Asian food, you Uh know? uh But again, some of the recipes weren't exactly authentic because I mean, they're American, Caucasian, but it was authentic to them. And they were excited to make these Asian recipes. So of course, let them share what they feel, you know, what their creation. Um, And it was so cute. I had this one, this Thai woman, very, very healthy Thai woman who was a stripper. (laughs) And she really wanted to share her recipes on eating Asian. I mean, and just my website alone, I mean, people for a long time, people thought it was a porn site. And so it was so hard. I just remember feeling so bad because I mean, she was so pretty, you know, and, but again, she had, you know, one of those pay to play websites. Oh dear. (laughs) Only fans the early days. I was worried to have her on my website because it was already called Eaton Asian and people that were already confused what that was. And I didn't want it to turn into a site. So it was attracting people from all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes unintentionally, (laughs) you know, and so that's how that came about. It's just because I was trying to find a place to express myself and, you know, you know, Vietnamese like I have my manicure license. You know why? Because I'm Vietnamese. (laughs) Like I for real went to school for that and then i even took the test and it was i went to school it was all vietnamese people i had to have i had to have a translator (laughs) um but i wanted to be as authentic as i possibly could that's maybe the most asian thing you've done (laughs) yep and so i just remember i took my test and i passed because it's like it's kind of science you know with nails and what how things work blah 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 and then they were like there's no way you can pass you must take again and I'm like, God, you guys should be proud of me, you Asian people. <laughs> so, I mean, I took it again and passed it, obviously. But it's like, man, they're hard. Uh-huh. They're like hard. <laughs> so around around this time, you started eating Asian, but around the same time, you started doing more TV and uh, culinary stuff on TV. When, when did When did that all come about? Well, first, okay, the whole Eat Asian thing, when that happened, I started getting picked up by different Asian networks. Like, I can't even tell you what they are. I didn't even <laughs> care what they were, but it was TV time, you know? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. so I'd go to the studio and I think they were like up and coming, clearly, right, because right. I do not think they are around anymore. But I started doing TV like that, promoting Eat and Asian. And this one company, my first one, it was called nom.com, okay? And you would log on. And people would watch you live cook in the kitchen. And while you were cooking, you would be talking to them and explaining to them, answering questions. But it was like just letting them feel like they were in your kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I started doing that. And I did that for a year until they were no longer. It was a startup. Mm-hmm. So a lot of startups, you know, they start up. And that's, that's <laughs> when they stop. <laughs> and then when I started doing the food writing, uh, they wanted someone to write, produce, and host food shows. And this one company didn't have a kitchen. And so I created a series called Practically Cooking. And so each episode was going to be how you cook 
without a kitchen. (laughs) So whether you're using a wok, whether you're using, you know, a sandwich maker, whether you're using a rice cooker, there were all things that you could plug in. And then I was teaching people about knives. That was one because you don't need a kitchen for that, Um, about different pots and pans and how to use them, what kind of knives you should have. Um, and then, you know, just, uh, making Super Bowl recipes, you know, bread and mi- making mixes and how to cover chocolate strawberries with a microwave, but again, not a kitchen, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And then from that came doing food news for AOL. And so that was fun because there's a lot of food news out there, you know, I mean, Oreo coming out with a new flavor, Ben and Jerry's, you know, Popeye's they got a thing tomorrow, like really for 59 cents or doing their chicken celebrating their 75 million anniversary so there's so much food news and so then it was just putting a compilation like a two minutes of just all the food news for that day and Mm. so i'd get up at 4 a.m and scour the internet for all the different food news that was for that day write it produce it host it on air that that early that morning wow okay so i did hallmark channel and they called some, they were, they, I don't know if they found me on social media, but that's when I started realizing that social media, that's my business card. Cause mm-hmm. my mom always wondered why I would do videos without getting paid. Because a lot of times I was getting paid nom.com AOL. I mean, I'm getting paid to do these videos, but then I would do them on my own and they take a lot of time, you know? Um, I mean, shooting them is one thing, but then having to edit them, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. God, it takes so long. Uh-huh. And I started realizing that, okay, these, this is like my business card. Like I have to keep the website updated. I have to stay active on social media. This is how people found me. This Mm -hmm. latest gig, I just did a, um, a, how do you say, where you team up with somebody? Collaboration. Collaboration (laughs) (laughs) with Rachel Ray for her pots and pants. Okay. They found me online. Uh uh Someone saw me do a video for Campbell's Soup and told someone of someone of someone uh-huh. they're like you have to see this girl do this campbell soup video and it happened to a video like it's like oh my god i gotta do this video i forgot all about it these candles they're supposed to they're candles that smell like campbell soup <laughs> and it's like how do i do the video and like be so excited about the yummy <laughs> smells <laughs> and so was, i was just trying to be, kind of be cheeky and funny about the video um that video that's the one they they saw and then I just did a series with all recipes for their YouTube channel. And they were just happened to be looking for someone outside of the box who was a little uh-huh. louder than what their usual demographic is, which they have since gone back to their usual demographic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they found me on Instagram. Uh-huh. Someone in the office, because I asked, I always ask, how did you find me? It's always, how did you find me? How did you find me? Uh-huh. And they were like, well, my boss said that someone told him to go look at your Instagram page because you put out really good content videos, put out really good video content. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. So literally from those yeah. videos, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I'm getting so much stuff from those. Oh, cooking channel. That was another one. <laughs> I did a sizzle. I was doing stuff with Food Network years ago when they were trying to incorporate more ethnicity uh-huh. into their lineup. Mm-hmm. So I'm still waiting for that, by the way. <laughs> After that, they just kept me in mind for things. So there was a show on Cooking Channel and Cooking Channel is a little more out of the box yeah. than Food Network. And yeah. plus, it's, you know, it's interesting because so long ago they were talking. Um, I just sat in on one of the meetings. I wasn't really privy to all their decision making, but I do remember in the meetings them talking about how they are trying to diversify more and then trying to do, you know, more food shows because there's so many competition shows. Yeah. But 
it's still that's still where it's at. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the cooking channel put out a show called Food Factor Fiction, and the host was this guy. I know you guys would know him, but I can't think of his name. Um, but he was like on Better Call Sal, Better Off Sal, or something like that. Mm. And they needed a culinary producer on camera. And the one of the executives at Food Network was like, We've been trying to get this girl on a show forever. And so that's how I got on that show. But then like KTLA, I pitched them and then I just sent them what it was interesting. I was like, okay, I pitched them. And it's like, you know how, I I mean, I'm sure some people write, you know, like, hi, my name is Estella and I'm this food blogger and I've got all these great recipes and I would love to be on your show. (laughs) You know, my pitch is here's how your run of show is going to be. So I would come on and then we would, we would do this and then we'd go into this and then I would do this recipe, but then I'm going to do this one and this one and this one. My first pitch was like, you just wrote our show. When can you come in? (laughs) And it was like, oh, but then of course it was expected every time. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. That's, but that's how my brain works. Because if I don't write it out like that, I'm like, I can't, (gasps) how am I supposed to do this? But at least I go in knowing exactly it's what I put together, you know? And so I know how it's going to go. And I'm, I'm okay with if they throw in little curveballs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Today, she is dishing up a delicious apple brown Betty. Please welcome to our home for the first time, I can't believe it, Kim Lai Yingling. So you can either use like Granny Smith apples or you can use Braeburns because they're super, super firm and you want them to hold up when you're cooking. Right. You don't, nobody wants, you know, soggy apples, right? No. And I didn't um, know that they were, uh, until I was doing research for your segment today, there are over 7,000 different yep. types of apples in the world. What? Uh-huh. 2,500 in the U.S. What? I know, crazy, right? Who knew? I had no idea there was such a huge variety. When I was younger, this is all we ate, but we didn't use like almond butter and peanut butter. We used shrimp paste because it's an Asian thing. Oh, <laughs> So it's like salt on salt. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I know the first apple was actually harvested in China? Central Asia. Really? <laughs> That's right. Give props to your people. I like that. All right. So we start with putting the beautiful yes. sort of um, spice mixture in here. What yes. do we put in? Okay. So peeled, sliced, good to go. Okay. So we're going to use lemon juice. Okay. And then we're putting in the nutmeg. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that was, so that's, I, I really enjoy being in front of the camera. Naturally, I think I'm just a good fit for in front of the camera, but I also think and love and think I'm a good fit behind the camera mm-hmm. as yeah, well. Yeah, you have producer brain for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I really do like doing both and not at all. Um, like I have some people now, like our mutual friend that I was at Smorgasbord with. Um, I've been moderating some of her cooking shows. And it's interesting because people ask, it's like, how is that for you? And it's like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't, what? It's like, I, it's, I love it. You know, it's like you don't always have to be, uh, you don't always have to be in front of the camera. You know, it's like I can totally be that supporting role and utilize what I got in here to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, and plus I learned so much even doing it for other people, you know, but I think that that's what that's what makes a type A person so good is when you know, you know, when to be the type A, you know, when to be in the front, you know, when you need to take a handle of things, but you also know when it's just not your show. Yeah. But you can play a kick-ass supporting role. Right, right. You know? That's very Cheryl Crow. That's very Cheryl Crow of you. Because she was famously like a hit songwriter for years, right? And did backup. Mm -hmm. And then much later in her career became the front woman. Yep. But I'm telling you, you're so much stronger if you can do both. 
And there's so many people that get stuck in front um, or think that that's where they feel they should be, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to do behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they just don't end up anywhere. And there's there's less jobs in front. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, and then I saw, I saw you're on TikTok now you're, you're adapting, always adjusting. Okay. Well, let me tell you something. I wasn't even going to do TikTok. Okay. Because I'm like, there's just a, enough is enough. <laughs> I'm so I can't even keep up with, you know, I literally have a diagram of all the sites when I post what's being posted uh, and the times. Yeah. And it's like, I cannot, right. I cannot. One more platform. <laughs> yeah. Well, Guess who found me through Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some production company called and asked if I would sign a contract to produce content for TikTok. <laughs> I was like, why? Yes, I sure will. <laughs> and so it's so funny because you're like, hold again, on, let me check with my client. <laughs> yes, my client says you would do yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's funny because, you know, when you're getting paid to do something, I was pushing out content like I had to do one to two a, a day yeah. because it's all about how often when you yeah. get, you know, engagement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. The engagement and stuff. And then it's like when I wasn't getting paid, it's like, oh, TikTok, shoot. Did I put out a video this week? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, whoops. And then I got another contract and boom, boom, boom. I'm just pushing out content, pushing out content. And then whoops. Oh, God, I forgot about TikTok again. It's a job. It's work. Yeah. Work. And it's interesting how people, it's like my mom, the, uh, I was editing something. So, oh, the Rachel Ray thing. I was, I shot it and it took me two, it's like one minute, okay, of content. <laughs> but I was shooting for two days. And I just remember one time it was like 9 30 at night. My mom's like, what do you do? And I'm like, mom, I'm still working on this content. Still? Why you don't get done? And it's like, you know what? I haven't even started editing, mom. <laughs> Call me back in three days. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's so interesting. Like people, they don't know, you know, if they're not there seeing you, you know, like my mom didn't, she didn't take kindly to me being a singer until she came to the shows and started seeing people show up and buy things <laughs> and that I could actually get paid to do this. Then she became the road manager. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I go with you every show. <laughs> <laughs> No lie. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know, but then it was just helping. And so it's no different. Like now in front of the camera, when I do things in front of the camera, um, I was, to, I had to do a podcast uh, with uh, Mother's Grocery Store or it's Mother's, it's this grocery store in Orange County. Yeah, I've seen it. There's one Mother's. in Long Beach. It's not for moms, but it's called mm-hmm, Mother's. Mm-hmm. It's like an upscale. Yeah. It's like a Sprouts or like a. And so they're doing some series. <laughs> So I was doing, I was setting up, I was at my mom's visiting her in Washington and oh, I'll get to tell you something really funny about that. Okay. So I was visiting her in Washington and I was setting up on the couch and I was trying to figure out the background and oh my God, I'm looking in the camera and I like see this little Asian woman in the back. She's moving plants. She's putting uh, certain trees in certain areas. She's looking behind, like trying to figure out how it looks on camera. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I make you look good. It's a, like a forest. It's going to be a forest behind you. <laughs> I'm like, no, I need nothing. Like everything has to go. I need just white. Oh my gosh. So I got this new gig hosting these new series. And I told my mom, I'm going to be back there next week. And I said, Hey, I think um, uh, since I can be mobile doing what I'm doing, it doesn't matter where I shoot. I'm going to have to set up 
like an office. I'm going to order like a portable desk and send it to your house this week. So when I get there, we'll set it up. But then when I leave, we can like put it away. That night, I got all these pictures. We have a tablet together so she can send me pictures since she refuses to learn how to use an iPhone. And there's all these pictures of her bedroom, which is already converted into half of my room. She had moved a couch, moved a chair, made this space, this space in front of a window. And I'm like, oh, my God, did you move furniture again? And she was like, this your office. (laughs) I love you. I was like, oh, (laughs) she's like she's into it. Like no matter what it is, she is into it. I like your mom a lot. I already do. (laughs) Everybody likes her. She's a nice one. I'm not for real. So we end the show with a segment that I call Who's Your Infatuation? Um, Infatuation is anyone from the Asian community that you admire. Could be someone you know. Could be someone you don't know. Kim Lai, Yingling, who is your infatuation? Is it corny if I were to say my mom? No, that's that's a common one, actually. It is? Or grandfather or, yeah, no. A lot of people, that's their that's the person they admire most. Yeah, she's like the, she's been it for me for so long. Just because, you know, I try to have empathy. I mean, obviously, I don't know what it's like being in a war. I, don't, I mean, she still has mm-hmm. nightmares. I mean, we have to wake her up still. When that whole thing in Ukraine started, mm-hmm. like it brought back so much. And... It's like I try to have so much empathy because I'll never know or feel what she felt or have to go through the struggles that she has gone through. And so while that's always sitting in the back of my mind, you know, I feel like her support and everything that she tries to do for me and her, my brother, it's like, it's just, it, I just respect her so much, you know, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. when I didn't like her when I was younger because she was too strict and now she's more like my friend. Um, she was a mom when she needed to be a mom. And now she is like my support system. Like I literally do not know what I would do if something happened to her. Like mm-hmm. literally yeah. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's um, your stage manager. She's your you agent. Know, I mean, she's like, she guides me through so much and we've worked so hard on our relationship that, yeah, she's huge role model, huge role model for me. Yeah, and I bet growing up, you know, like you said, she was really isolated up in Seattle mm-hmm. area. I mean, you were probably her best friend for a long time, you know, her only friend, right? You know, in so many ways. I think, well, she, you know, she told me the other day that she used to go to New York from when we lived in New Jersey. And I was like, with who? And she goes, other women on the base. I'm like, you had friends? <laughs> like, I don't even remember that. But I do remember when we moved to Washington, I just I remember having to go to a a daycare because she literally worked from morning, came back at two, went back to work again at night. And it's just like it was constant, constant. And then my dad was in the army. Yeah. 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 I mean, she was a little worker. bee. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. (laughs) He has some great memories of her. That's great. Mm -hmm. So, Kim, it's really easy to see why you're on TV. It's easy to see why you're on radio when you're on what, you know, you're just, yeah, you're so fun to talk with. So, thank you for coming along with us today. Ah, This was a blast. (laughs)
<laughs> I've learned so much about you. This is like, and like I said, I still want to do karaoke night and hear the country songs. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, everyone. Well, that does it for this episode. Thank you, Kim Lai Yingling, for coming along. Thank you, guys. Uh, your socials are basically Kim Lai Yingling, all one word. Yes. Pretty much every platform, the same? All of them, except TikTok is I am Kim Lai. All right. <laughs> Someone else took the other one. <laughs> Somebody else took Kim Lai Yingling. <laughs> I know. I know, right? I couldn't get it. Is How odd is that? <laughs> An imposter. So weird. And uh, thank you, Carol, for coming along, too. Always, always. You guys are so much fun. I feel like I did all the talking. <laughs> no, that's what that's what we want. We want the guests to do all the talking. Make it easier for us. It, yeah, it makes my job easier. Yeah. Now the oh. editing, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes work. Uh, and everyone out there, thank you all for listening. We hope you learned something. That's one of the goals of this show is that you learn something every week. And as I always mention, you can write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail dot com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Infatuation Podcast. We'll put all of our socials in the show notes so you can see it there. So on behalf of Kim Lai, Carol, and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.